You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Creme. We're joined this week by Gabby Coots from the Global Digital Currency Association to discuss the major 2022 shift in crypto regulations and whether the U.S. is at a risk of becoming a global digital backwater. This is one of the biggest topics in crypto right now, so enjoy. As a reminder, please do stay on mute when we're in the big room. Um, otherwise, it gets really confusing. But just so you know what to expect, um, this is what you can expect. Is our agenda. This is a weekly event. This is the 93rd weekly event, which is just crazy. We're going to be doing something fun for the 100th involving an NFT. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. We're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. Then we're going to do a 15-minute fireside chat with our expert speaker du jour, Ms. Gabby Coos. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms similar to what you just experienced, um, give you a chance to meet other people in the audience who are largely alternative investors in one way, shape, or form. The reason we do this is, well, this is first and foremost a networking event for alternative investors, LPs, and GPs to come together and just, you know, share notes. We get people from all over the world, so hopefully you come away a little more connected. And then we also do, you know, we want you to leave a little bit more intelligent, so we have people like Gabby talk about something. Today is uh, particularly appropriate, as you'll see in a moment. And then Diffuse Tap is in-person versions of this. Uh, more booze, fewer speakers. Well, more speakers, I guess. Uh, the next one is March 22nd in Chicago. I will not be there in spite of the fact I'm normally based in Chicago, but if you are, you should come. Why do we do this? Diffuse is an alternative fund incubator. We try to find high alpha, more esoteric, or just purely opportunistic investment strategies, and we turn them into funds. So it's pretty straightforward. We have three live digital asset funds. One is an index fund that we're in the middle of listing. We're doing a pretty big push for a pre-IPO raise at the moment. And then we have two actively managed DeFi yield farming, revenue generating, whatever you want to call it. One's market neutral and one is market long. But y'all aren't here to hear me. You're here to hear her. So, Ms. Gabriella, do you want to unmute yourself if you are and, and tell the folks a little about you? Sure. Um, well, first of all, Kenny and Isla, thank you so much for the opportunity to, you know, be part of your community today. Um, we were joking in the breakout rooms that it's a very appropriate topic, <laughs> given some of uh, the recent executive order that was released and, um, you know, thinking about some of the implications there. Um, so just to give like a brief snapshot of, you know, who I am and my background. Um, my name is Gabriella Cruz. I um, have a bit of a different background than most people in the digital asset space. So I have focused heavily on international financial sector and economic development. Um, I've worked with the World Bank. I've worked with the International Federation of Accountants, um, as well as a contractor on U.S. Agency for International Development Projects. And um, I'll talk a little bit about how some of my previous life has come to um, bear as very important important to navigating some of the complexity and ambiguity that we see in the digital asset space. Um, but I've worked in 50 different countries around the world, and I've, you know, kind of focused on a very particular niche, which was on governance institutions and setting up self-regulatory entities. Um, and these are entities that either by legal mandate or industry mandate in a given jurisdiction um, help to drive private sector-led responsible innovation and development for an industry. And so, I've been able to carry that forward as a board director at the Global DCA. Um, and you can visit our website to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do. 
Beautiful. I want to I'm going to jump right in and kick off the questions. If you think back in you know, 2012 to 2020, what was the regulatory landscape like when it came to crypto? And then subsequently, what on earth changed in 2021? I think that that's a really good um, sort of setting the stage for today's conversation. Um, you know, what we've seen around the world has been sort of everybody at the same time, almost uh, trying to understand how and in what way they're going to begin to approach the concept of digital asset regulation. Um, you know, each country is seeing this through their own cultural context, through their own economic structure, through their own financial sector and regulatory structure. And it's really a unique opportunity um, where, you know, at this point, you're seeing everybody start to realize um, that a lot of what we had previously created in terms of frameworks, it can't really work in terms of being shoehorned in. So I think initially people went to what they knew and they started to look at things like in the US, um, you know, the Howey test, um, looking at other, you know, existing legal and regulatory um, pieces and thinking about how and in what way this could be applied to digital assets. Bitcoin in the first instance, you know, moving towards Ethereum. And then now what we've seen is sort of a broader approach towards um, decentralized finance. I think, you know, if we're looking at broader trends around the world, what you saw, especially in those first mover countries, um, in many cases approached, like I said, shoehorning in, but then the next piece is still viewing this very much as an asset class that could be bounded by national borders. So um, what you've also seen is that there's a lot of countries and I'll point to Nigeria and India in particular, well, I think the regulators sort of saw the evolution of the market and started to say to themselves, hold up, stop, we need to kind of pump the brakes on this. And so that's where you started to see the act towards or move towards banning um, of digital assets, right? And in that space, it wasn't necessarily in knowing a lot of the regulators and their capacity to deal with this. I don't think it was ever intended to be a flat out ban. It was meant to help slow the progress so that they could catch up in terms of understanding what this was and how to approach regulation. The problem with that is that as soon as you start to ban or even posture, you know, somewhat negatively against digital assets, what you do is chill the innovation in that country. And a lot of it, just like individual brain drain, what you tended to see was that um, entrepreneurs and businesses who were either considering investing or who were already present were looking to off-road and get into jurisdictions that were not necessarily less rigorous or less structured, but rather created clarity and offered a clear rules of the road for how they could build their business and protect their investment, right? Um, the big change I think that you saw and why you saw a flip was the increase of interest around institutional investors. And so once that started to happen, a lot of this echoing of banning and, you know, trying to mitigate this opportunity transformed a bit into how can we tax this? How can we, you know, create some sort of basic guardrails around this industry to protect both institutions as well as retail consumers? 
Um, and how can we help to grow this so that it would be both um, able to drive domestic industry development, but also help to protect, you know, the end consumer and broadly the public interest. So I don't know if that's if we can drill down into that, but that's kind of just a very high level view of sort of where we've come from from 2012 to 2020 a pivotal sort of shift in terms of the interest from institutions. And then going forward, you know, today, as you've seen with the executive order, there's that understanding that there needs to be a balance in this respect and understanding both the risks and benefits. You just preempted my next question. Well done. <laughs> Apparently a few hours ago and putting you on the spot, because I'm sure you haven't had a chance to consume it fully. What is this executive order you speak of? Is that just a next step in the the flippening, uh, we can call it, in the regulatory stance, or how do you think this is going to play into the large picture? Sure. So, you know, I tend to be an eternal optimist. Um, I think that if I'm looking at this executive order, I think it is very broad, and it basically just sets out an agenda for different levels of cooperation and research, right? And it also very nicely um, aligns with a lot of the messaging that the Global DCA has been running in DC and in the conversations that we've had with legislators and regulators. So it requires sort of a holistic view, not just about Bitcoin or Ethereum, but really understanding the broader impacts to this of the you know, national and domestic financial sector and then the global financial sector. So we're not looking at just a new asset class or product. We're looking um, to a certain degree at a transformation of the financial sector overall, a move away from centralization towards decentralization and a need for us to look at this not only from regulating that financial component, but looking at it from a standpoint of, and we say at the Global DCA, um, that it needs to have a look at national security implications, that you need to be looking at global positioning and order. You also need to be looking at economic growth and opportunities. And then you also need to be looking at the aspects that this has with regards to social outcomes. So that's everything from financial inclusion to small and medium business access to finance um, and helping to support and advance those who are currently unbanked or underbanked. Um, you know, I love the fact that they hit on our hashtag responsible innovation. Um, so that was very exciting to see that come through. But, you know, one of the key pieces that I think is important in this and that I am excited about is the fact that it is taking that broad based view that this is an opportunity and an opening. Um, really for us as an industry to come forward and to be an active counterpart in conversations around how and in what way here in the United States we can position successfully um, in the digital economy and also in regards to decentralized financial sector and its evolution. Beautiful. Maybe I can dig into one little bit there. It's very easy for us as kind of backseat drivers to be like, you guys should speed it up. Why is it taking you so long? Uh, if we dialed up the empathy a little bit with the regulators, why why is it so difficult to A, wrap your head around, B, start making decisions on how to regulate it, and then C, kind of um, really uh, creating a framework for us to uh, also preempt things that could happen in the future uh, within this space? Sure. So, you know, let's put aside the fact that, you know, usually in the public sector, it takes a little bit longer for, you know, there to be traction, especially on key issues or ideas. 
Um, I think, you know, one, you're dealing with competing priorities, right? We're dealing with um, issues of conflict and ongoing war you have. So let's just kind of like take a beat and say there's a lot going on here for the U.S. and around the world. Um, and this is important. And that is kind of the relevance or the positioning of the EO is that it is being recognized as extremely important to address. Um, so the first is lots going on globally. Part of the reason that we're slow is generally public sector is a little bit, you know, slower to the uptake on some of the key trends or issues that we see. But that aside, I think, you know, the other piece of this is that um, there has had a need for engagement and awareness building and knowledge and learning, both amongst legislators um, and regulators on Capitol Hill. And so the global DCA has been stepping forward very actively, um, not necessarily in a hard like lobbying sense, but more or less in a sense of standing forward as a resource, a center of excellence to kind of provide input to help make informed policy decisions and to help, I think, display some of the myths or let's say misconceptions around digital assets and blockchain technology, and to help raise uh, both sides, I would say a bipartisan view of why digital assets are important, why blockchain technology is important, and really what that means in terms of the trajectory of what we see the evolution of our, our national and global financial sector to look like. Um, you know, think about like even for yourselves, like the first time that you were exposed to um, Bitcoin or digital assets, um, it was perhaps a bit overwhelming or you kind of were a little bit skeptical of how it would work or, you know, what what role or importance it could have. I think, you know, the crisis in Ukraine and the fact that we're seeing close to $80 million of crypto donations flowing into the country, the role that that's played in helping to both fund military operations as well as humanitarian relief, I would say that's been sort of a turning point to help vault this onto the global stage and also raise importance around this space. But I think the other piece of it is, you know, just an understanding that you know, when you're looking at this, this shift, not just about the skepticism and the need to educate, but also this shift in mindset around the fact that we can't necessarily do everything the way we've done it before with regards to this space. And like I said, every country, because changing laws and regulations is hard, regardless of what country you're located in and working in. So, it's normal to start with how can we shoehorn this in? How can we, you know, kind of use what we have in order to expedite, right? The problem is that very soon after, as we've seen, you realize that that's not possible. And if that's not possible, then it's a longer term project than to bring people around the table. And again, in a, um, in a federated structure like the United States, where you have state as well as national level, you have a multitude of different regulatory bodies and agencies that all can potentially touch or have claim on this. The reality is that it will take time um, in order to bring people around the table to understand what this is. And also, I think the first piece was educating people about you know, what digital assets are, the next piece is going to be educating everybody and just sharing knowledge from the industry about this need to transform and how this is shaping um, that move away from centralization to decentralization. Because in order to meet as a regulator, your or fulfill your mandate of protecting consumers, 
and of providing sufficient regulatory coverage, the reality is that you're not immune from transformation. And in order to effectively do that, you need to transform and mirror the transformation of the underlying industry that you're responsible for regulating. And that's the piece that's going to take a long time. Um, but I think, you know, again, this EO was a great start, a great opportunity to kind of, you know, have visibility around this and importance placed. I think it has a really nice blend of bipartisan both concerns as well as excitement about what digital assets can be and can do. And I think that it's a great opening for our industry to come to the table and to really help during this transformative process to provide very strong, you know, unbiased and, you know, expert perspectives in order to ensure that those policy outcomes, those interventions are well-designed and well-informed. That's great. Um, shifting topics slightly and picking up Henry's comment from the chat, CBDC, that's an acronym I've heard a bit. What is a CBDC and how do you view the interconnection between CBDCs and more traditional like DeFi, crypto assets, like what does that landscape look like? Sure. So I think it's it's a good question. So central bank digital currencies, um, these can be designed in a number of different ways. And what you will find is that depending on, again, you know, the country context, um, some of the, whether it's a command economy or it's a free market economy, the degree to which there are, you know, protections of certain rights of citizens, um, all of this comes into play in regards to like the design phase of how you would create um, and then roll out a central bank digital currency. Um, so I always like to say whenever people say, well, China's ahead or um, we've seen a lot of movement on CBDCs um, in other jurisdictions. It is easier to move faster when you don't have to take into consideration things like privacy, things like um, different types of rights, um, economic freedoms that you may hold dear to your heart in your country, um, the degree to which you believe your government should or should not have the ability to surveil or have oversight over the use of a monetary instrument. And so, you know, in that space, it's a little bit um, expected that some of those that would be more centralized and command economy would be able to move forward with this faster than democracies. Um, but I will also say that, you know, we know in India, for example, as well as like we follow both of these jurisdictions very heavily and I'll explain why in just a moment. But um, in both of these, they've moved forward with CBDCs. Um, it is our opinion that CBDCs and crypto can exist in harmony because there are different uses and profiles for how and in what way you would leverage those products. They offer in some ways similar, but very, very different functionality. And I think that, you know, the degree to which it is designed well, so it's interoperable, it can cross borders, it protects privacy, it ensures, you know, a strong sound operation from an economics freedoms perspective, um, and it's safe and secure as well as technically and technologically sophisticated. So that's a lot to hit if you're gonna create a CBDC. So it takes some time to come to the table with that um, if you're doing it in a free market environment. 
But I will say that I don't see them necessarily as it has to be one or the other, that if there's a CBDC, this will somehow crowd out or exclude um, digital assets, because I think digital assets themselves, you know, every day we see something new and different. And the way that it transforms this industry, um, the way that we move forward with, you know, new and unique products, I think the pace that we're moving at is so fast and the ability to so nimbly like transform in terms of sophistication and technology. I don't see that. And we're being able to be beat out necessarily by a CBDC. And like I said, different purposes, different uses. I think maybe there's a point where we'll have certain amounts of our personal, um, you know, uh, wealth, held in a CBDC or for certain purposes. And then maybe the bulk of that is in, you know, crypto or, you know, some form of digital asset, right? Um, so it's interesting, but I think lots of cool cases around the world um, and very different views about how you can create and design that effectively. That's great. Well, we never have enough time for these chats as we'd like, because this is a networking event. But if anybody wants to know more, join our Telegram group and go join GDCA. Um, our very own Isla Krem works very closely on the education committee with Gabby, trying to uh, basically inform people about exactly these types of topics. Um, but with that, we're going to do another round of breakout rooms. Uh, Gabby, just to prepare, we always do the same question for you in between breakout rooms in about 15 minutes, which is trends, what's coming down the pipe, what's really exciting. But housekeeping, uh, pitching, not now, or sorry, it's not pitching, it's networking. Please be respectful of that. Be kind to one another. And then we do not do a full participant list. So if you meet somebody, swap details then and there, or join the aforementioned uh, Telegram group and introduce yourself and ask for something. I'll email. Yeah, I'll take over and I'll pop you into rooms of some five, six folks each. Uh, Gabby, you know, whoever gets lucky and has Gabby in there can obviously grill her further. Um, but the question, just as a, as a prompt, obviously you can talk about whatever you want under the sun, um, is how involved should the government really be in all things crypto? Light touch, you know, heavily involved due to all things money laundering. Um, what is your view on how involved the government should be? I'll pop you into rooms now, and then we'll see you back here in about 10 minutes. All right, guys. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the big room. Uh, please go on mute. We're going to do one more question for Gabby while Ayla reshuffles the room, which is uh, trends. You already talked about what's happened between 2020 and 2022. Uh, Crystal Ball, what's happening in the next year? Is the, is the use going to overcome their current trend of towards digital backwaterness or is that going to be reversible? Um, well, I hope, you know, again, no one has a crystal ball, but I think that, you know, with today's EO, um, it hopefully will kind of give us a bit of a kick in the pants to get on track. And I think that, you know, all the hard work that we've been doing, 50 different congressional offices, trying to raise awareness and help people understand that around the world, people are far more advanced in terms of approaching this, crafting out legal and regulatory structures and having had these conversations maybe nine to 12 months ago. Um, so I think that if I were looking at my crystal of all, we're going to come to the 12 month period with lots of research reports, but I think we're still going to find ourselves in a space where they're going to punt back to Congress and say that there needs to be some decision at that point. 
And, you know, just from our side, it's at that point that is the global DCA, um, you know, we are standing forward as a self-regulatory um, association. So looking to ensure that, you know, there's a proximity to the industry, that there is expertise that actually understands where this is going, that it's flexible and nimble enough to really drive and to help shepherd a lot of the innovation that we'd like to see. Um, because I think if it goes back to just a formal regulator, I think you're going to see a lot of the same challenges and issues with just similarly to shoehorning. Um, but yeah, I, we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. I'll be honest. I love it. You said earlier you are an eternal optimism, optimist, so that is on display here. So I, I am also hopeful that we get it all figured out. Uh, Isla, are you good on, on the room? Absolutely. I'm going to pop you into rooms and you'll get another 10 minutes or so with nice strangers who tell you secrets about their life and truths and things. Um, and uh, the question to noodle over this time around is, which country do you think is getting it right when it comes to crypto regulations? I'm popping into room right now, and we'll see you back here in about 10 minutes. All right, everybody, welcome back. As a friendly reminder, please do stay muted. We're going to do a couple wrap-up things in the inner right here at the top of the hour. Wrap-up things, where are we are. There we go. So this is a weekly event. Some join us a week from, well, now. Uh, Wednesdays at 10 Central is when we do it. Next, we have the founder of Multicoin Capital. So that should be a good one. One of the most successful, if not the most successful VC funds um, in the last decade. And then a lot of other things on top of that. Reminder, March 22nd, next week, or no, week after next, we're going to have an in-person version of this in Chicago. I won't be there, but you should be. And then uh, do join the Telegram group. Um, Isla, other discussion items? I think that is probably it. Uh, Kenny will be in London for the next couple of weeks. So if you happen to be in town and you want to chit chat about anything uh, IPO related or funds or whatever that might be, let us know. Otherwise, we are excited to have you all on next week again. Oh, on that note, we are planning on hosting an in-person uh, Diffuse Tab in London on the 24th. We're actually looking at somebody to help host it, as in find venues and things like that. So if you know anybody based in London that wants to engage on that, do not be shy about sending them our way. But um, outside Gabby. of that, thank you. Sorry, Ali, go ahead. Gabby, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was very timely, and I'm sure it's going to make a phenomenal transcript. So if you want to reread all the wisdom, then uh, let me know. Otherwise, you'll see that in the newsletter next week. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom. Thank you all. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thank you. Everybody have a good week. You've been listening to Diffuse Tab with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.